You heard it here first. <laughs> Fuck you, Keith. You're a rich girl and you're gone too far cause you're Welcome back to another episode of Weirds for Lunch, the show that looks down on sodomy. Oh! I'm your host, Steve Rubenstein. What was that? <laughs> Nothing. Excuse Carry me. On. I think it's it's my time to do the intro. I'm Steve <laughs> Rubenstein. I'm a writer and musician and podcaster, I guess. And joining me, as always, the Travis Barker. To my Tom DeLong, I guess. Oh shit! (laughs) Well, you're Tom. You're Tom because you believe in aliens. (laughs) True. Also true. (laughs) What's your name? Who are you? I'm Lindsay Tucker. I am a journalist and also a podcaster. And this is my show. La 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 la. (laughs) Jesus. (laughs) How are you? What's been up? Oh, I just got this white claw. Okay, so we're we're getting White Claw wasted on the show today. Is that what's happening? Just getting a little loosed up. There was just an episode with my dog. I don't know what happened. She was outside with Tripp's dog, and I just heard, like, a baby seal dying. Oh, fun. And I ran out, and her she stuck her head in the dog door, but, like, she wouldn't come in. And I'm like, Ruby, what's wrong with you? And then she just, like, hunched towards me, crying and shaking for five minutes. And I searched her entire body for a puncture or something, and I, I can't find anything. Mm. But she's gotten, like, snapped in the face by Honey before. That's not good. It's not good. got to so take it story. to the dog mediation. Yeah, they need therapy. <laughs> uh, I'm okay. If we're sharing dog stories, I can I can tell a dog story. Yes, regale our group with its heroic tale. So um, I was just in Reno for two weeks doing a shooting a movie. And we brought Chubs, and we tell brought, us what the movie was about. The movie is about a a dead body, hijinks with a dead body. Mm-hmm. Um, and Aviv's favorite pastime. Aviv's favorite pastime. It's a documentary, really. <laughs> um, but we brought Chubbs with us, and basically everyone was working nights. The movie takes place all at night, and our editor was working during the day, so there's basically always someone there with him. But uh, a couple of times, our editor had to like make make runs to the set. We forgot a. Th- a camera card or you know whatever and uh she would put him in his little crate and he figured out a way to like bend the bars enough to escape the crate (laughs) and he like had no idea how like who he who denied himself out of the crate wow yeah it was like it was so bad that we actually had to throw it away and i bought a new one because like an all plastic one no no i bought like the heady heavy duty metal one (laughs) what Um, did he have before he had a heavy duty metal one, but we bought like a heavier dutier metal one that's like slightly smaller. So I I was told that like basically the crate just needs to be big enough for the dog to like turn around in it. And it's like should be like kind of like a cocoon or whatever. Uh, yeah. So we got a slightly smaller crate. It's it's next to me right now. Just to my it's left. A cocoon. What's a cocoon? No, I said it's a cocoon. It's a cocoon. Yeah. And so he hasn't tried to escape it yet, but we put blanket over it at night 
uh, to like simulate, you know, darkness or whatever. And uh, and I, the first day after employing Crate 2.0, the blanket had been like halfway pulled. I just smacked the microphone. Halfway pulled through the bars of the crate. So I woke up and it was just like a weird blanket flower stuck, <laughs> stuck in the between the bars. Can't, he can't be contained. So you crate sleep him? You don't let him sleep between your legs under the covers? Uh, I do crate sleep him. Sometimes (laughs) I let him sleep between my legs under the covers. Um, However, there was a period the first like six months of of us having him that he was awake before us. And he would like get into he would like whine at four in the morning because he wanted to like play or go out. And then, you know, he would get himself into trouble or whatever. And so, um, so we decided to crate train him. And now, like yesterday, like we went to sleep without putting him in the crate and we woke up and he was just like in the crate with the door open. Aww. Yeah. What he's, a sweetheart. He's a good boy. Well, that was <laughs> riveting. You asked. What are we here to talk about today? Uh, today we're talking about, uh, what's this band called? Blink 182. Blink one eighty two. Yeah, and the and their and their classic seminal hit. What that is, turned twenty three this year? What is my age again? Yes, the song that made turning twenty three cool to be uncool. Excuse Question me. Question mark. <laughs> yes, it's what's my age again? The first single from Blink one eighty two's nineteen ninety nine album, Enema of the State. It was the first single. It was the first single. It was the first single. It was. It was. From Enem of the State. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. For whatever reason, I just realized that I confused it with All the Small Things, which was the second single. Correct. Yes. The s- first song I learned how to play on guitar when I was at summer camp. All the Small Things? Very difficult. <laughs> no, it's like three chords. Maybe four. Sure. Um, okay, so... Does Gen Z even know who Blink-182 is? I think so. Uh, they must, because like must. Travis married Courtney. Kardashian. Right, which I don't really know anything about the Kardashians. I'm really aging myself with my lack of Kardashian uh, knowledge. So I've been living with a Gen Zer for the last couple of weeks. It's like a, a PA that has uh, come out from Boston to work on the movie and then has just been like crashing with me. You can see. The, mm. And so... She's very invested in the Kardashians. And in TikTok. They seem to be. Yeah, it's very weird. So do you have any good Kardashian gossip for us? Uh that they are by by at least this Gen Z are being heralded as like business geniuses and not a blight on society. Mm, okay. Which I think mo- I think before. most business geniuses are a blight on society, but that's, <laughs> yeah. that's a separate discussion. Yeah, we'll get to that later. Um, okay, so for all the babes and boomers out there, can you please tell us who is Blink-182? Oh, I would love to tell you who Blink-182 is. <laughs> I didn't realize that this was... Is there, is there something that's off limits? I mean, like, towards the end of the show, I was going to give an update on where they all are now. I don't know so. where they're na- they are now. I okay. mean, I can, I, can, I can stop at some point. Just tell me when to stop. Why don't you just bring us up to Enema of the State? Okay. So I'm, I say this is like not the world's biggest Blink-182 fan, but just like through cultural osmosis, I, I know some stuff about them. So they're a trio from Southern California. I think they're from San Diego. And they're like a pop punk trio 
that got super famous from Enema of the State, but they had started to get some fame playing like things like Warp Tour. And um, their most fa- mm-hmm. arguably their most famous member, Travis Barker, is their drummer, but he wasn't in the band originally. It was this other guy whose name Correct. I don't remember. Scott uh, Rayner. Scott Rayner, thank you. And uh, they had a couple of hits, including Damn It, which was, mm-hmm. I think, their like first big hit. And I specifically remember like that they were on things like Daria, right? They were like MTV darlings mm-hmm. when MTV like cared about new music. And uh, and so, damn it, which is the song that n- no one and uh, the only line that everyone knows is like, "Did you hear he fucked her?" Also, Josie, I think, is one of their songs. Anyway, uh, their yeah. drummer Scott Rayner, yeah, my girlfriend, brings me home when I'm too drunk to drive. And so they were they were like more punk than pop for the first couple of records, um, and then Scott Rayner broke his foot on tour and travis barker like filled in for that tour and then it was fucking over for scott rayner and travis barker was their drummer forever and ever and ever and uh and and they then released enema of the state which like skewed slightly more pop than their previous records and was like a massive massive crossover hit also a thing that blink 182 gave us was like the socal punk pop punk uh like vocal inflection which is basically whiny. just yeah whiny and like like weird vowel shapes mm. like uh hello there and i'm so sorry which is basically like hello there uh someone i know quoted that at his own wedding oh i i was gonna ask you about that later but okay. oh did i tell you about this <laughs> Yeah, um, yes. I might have actually deleted it from the notes because That's it was fine. too tangential. But now we're here, so yeah, why don't yeah, you yeah. just tell us? Uh, my my friend James quoted that song to his wife on the at as angel as the, from my nightmare. Hello there, the angel from my nightmare, the sh- the shadow in the background of the dark, the unsuspecting victim of darkness in the valley. We can live like Jack and Sally if we want, and I th- and I think the next. <laughs> next couplet as well but yeah uh where are you and, and i am so sorry <laughs> so basically every your your conception of like the punk the pop punk like vocal styling is is basically based not just on blink 182 but on tom DeLong, which is one of their two singers they have two singers tom and mark correct mark hoppus tom so DeLong. quick bit of fact checking here the official story is that scott was fired from the tour because he was going on like a bender oh okay this is this the last that i have had even thought about this was like in 2002 when there was like a behind the music and they said that scott broke his foot Mm, okay so maybe they were covering for him but quite quite now they're covering for themselves i don't know but okay great synopsis thank you love it I'll probably touch on a few of the things that you have just so graciously given us the quick summary of. No. <laughs> okay, here I go. Um, why, don't, why don't you tell me your feelings about Blink-182 a little more deeply before I go on, on the historical background? I am agnostic to Blink-182. I, I definitely, um, my interests, like I should have liked them. Right, I should have mm-hmm. liked Blink One Eighty Two when I was like fourteen years old, but I had weirdly like planted my flag in like MXPX, 
not sure. not knowing that they were mm-hmm. a Christian band. <laughs> and a, a band <laughs> Who called Who knew that? Yeah. <laughs> I didn't. Um and a band called No Use for a Name which I was like very very into. And so like for me, once again, I live here in the future with you, but for 14-year-old Aviv, I was like, "No, no. Blink-182 is too mainstream." I'm uh, contrarian. I'm a contrarian, right? Uh, but but as a result, I don't have the emotional attachment to Blink-182 that like many people our age do. Um, yeah. I don't dislike them. I think they're kind of overrated as like the godfathers of pop punk. And I'm like, okay, you're, they're fine. They're, I, 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 I also kind of always found their songs like a little uh, juvenile. Yes, they are. We'll talk about that too. And 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 as a as like a depressed fourteen year old, I wanted something Craved a, something deeper. I did. I tr- <laughs> like this is truly. I didn't want the goofiness because I was like angsty and misunderstood and all that stuff that goes along with being fourteen. Um, that I they were like too goofy for me. Okay, Aviv hates fun. I do. I noticed. absolutely hate fun. <laughs> All right, so here's the official history of Blink-182, according to Moi's research. <laughs> uh, so according to like Kerrang Radio, I feel like I definitely nailed that. Um, Blink-182 were formed in 1992 Jesus. when Tom DeLonge entered a high school battle of the bands competition where he met drummer Scott Rayner. So they enter this high school battle of the bands, and then they soon befriend another musician, Carrie Key whose girlfriend was Anne Hoppus, sister of Mark. Sister of Mark Hoppus. I actually think I knew about the sister. And didn't one of them date the sister? Or am I making yeah. stuff Well, up? Carrie Key's girlfriend was Anne Hoppus. Was Anne Hoppus. And that's like who they allegedly like befriended uh, after they became friends. Like Their next musician friend was this guy that was dating Anne. So the, so the original three members were Tom DeLong, Scott Rayner, and Carrie Keys, who I've never heard of before. Well, Carrie Key was another musician. Oh, but they but they, they weren't like, in a band together. They weren't in a band together. I no. gotcha. Um and then between nineteen ninety three however, I looked him up and his like only musical credits are like playing on Blink One Eighty Two stuff. So just I feel as like, like a session musician. He or like something? sat in as a yeah. session. Yeah. Anyway, between nineteen ninety three and nineteen ninety five, the trio Mark, Scott and Tom was recording a lot of music and they released two demo tapes in 93 fly swatter and demo number two aptly named so we're going to take a quick listen to a sample from each one of these okay. yeah uh so here's fly swatter <laughs> I mean, it must be. Uh, all right. And then. So one thing I want to note th- just on, yeah. the, on the YouTube of this. 
So it has this demo was recorded on a four track in Scott's room, May 1993, and available for five dollars postpaid. Made make checks payable to Mark Hoppus, blink 17338. It looks like foreclosure drive. That can't be right. <laughs> San Diego, um. California, 92138. So and and the the uh record label that they claim to be on is is not a not a great record label name. No, it's not. Um interesting. Should we say what it is? It's it's the F slur for gay people in the wilderness in the records. Wilderness records. Which like I think they are probably aligning themselves with the politically correct like politically progressive, sure. but just using a bad word. Yeah is my guess i think so too and i pondered that later with the sodomy lyric right and same. came to the same conclusion okay so do you want to hear anything from demo number two i would love to hear demo number two okay <laughs> oh wow their production value has gone way up because they've got hasn't it they got a computer printed yeah they <laughs> clip art now <laughs> the and other one was like UPC crayon colors. drawing or i would say yeah. color pencil something like that <laughs> So this just sounds just like MXPX to me. So you love it. I guess. <laughs> All right. Well, hate to burst your bubble, but let's move on. <laughs> Great. <laughs> but they look like they look and sound like children. Well, they are. They're in high school, right? I guess so, yeah. Um, in 1994, they recorded their debut album. Cheshire Cat, which had songs like Carousel and M&M's. Do you know any of those? Uh, no, but we we have some live listener feedback from Leanne O'Shea that says M&M's. <laughs> Just said M&M's though, so I'm I'm I would love to hear M&M's. Fantastic, because that's the song that I pulled out for us to hear. Oh yeah, great. <laughs> So it doesn't say Cheshire Cat. It's just a picture of a Cheshire Cat on the right. on the album cover. Interesting. Oh, I know this song. I didn't know it was called Eminem's, but I know I do know this song. Tell us what you see. Uh, they're all dressed like Eminem with <laughs> bleach blonde hair and white shirts. Um, and they're in the going in the back of a car, like the um, ironic music video, right? It's it's a very it's like a really early mid nineties video. It's like them wandering around Are a they mall, at the mall, yeah, <laughs> at, at the practice space in a car, etc. And Mark and, looks so and I cannot stress how much this sounds like mxpx of the time too i'm not saying that uh one i'm not saying that they were ripping mxpx it's more likely the other way around but i just because i have such a so much mxpx knowledge yeah well not knowledge but like (laughs) i have a history you know Mm -hmm. yeah this is pretty good mark is very charming 
So is there anything besides they sound like MXPX that you would like to say about their sound? I mean, uh, like I said a little earlier, they're a little less pop than they eventually become. Scott, whatever his name is, is playing like blast beats, like punk blast beats, and they're a little less melodic, um, which I think also comes from like their youth. Like, like the, the melodies are not super complex because he's just like saying some stuff. They also sound a little like the Dead Milkmen, which I, I really like. You really like the Dead Milkmen? Correct. Would you like to play a song? Sure, yeah. So uh, the Dead Milkman, their like most famous song is called Punk Rock Girl. Um, did, the Dead Milkman is, is from right outside of Philadelphia, kind of like near where I grew up. And so imagine, uh, dig if you will, an alternate universe where pop punk started not in Southern California, but in the suburbs of Philadelphia, and everyone would be singing like this. Ooh, exciting. I love this song. There's one day that I listened to the song like five times in a row. It was recently. Yesterday. Yeah, it was very <laughs> recently. <laughs> A lot of fun influences. A lot of, a lot of influences. Fun influences. Yeah. Like not pop punk ones. Of this. I feel like I'm hearing like some like rockabilly and mm-hmm. like Irish. Yeah, yeah. Punk. I, th- I, I agree. I think that I, I don't know what the exact timeline is, but I think this precedes Blake. Yeah, the the Dead Milkman formed in '83. The song okay. came out in '88. It was like, you know, they would have known about this band and this song. They had, they had a record called Big Lizard in My Backyard um, from 1985, and there was a kid that I went to high school with that wore a Dead Milkman Big Lizard in My Backyard shirt every day for at least two and a half years. Is that how you found out about them? Is that how I found out about them? <laughs> yeah. Yes. Hundred percent. Like, yes. Kenny's T-shirt about. <laughs> His name is Eric. Eric Geiger. Okay, so Cheshire Cat was released in 1995. Soon after the band left for their first national tour, and then mm-hmm. after Cheshire Cat came Dude Ranch, which we talked about a little at the top of the show. And Dude so, Ranch is the one with Josie and um, Damn It. Josie Apple Shampoo Damn It. Um, so that was 1997 when Dude Ranch came out. That was released with MCA, which was also home of Newfound Glory. Do you remember them? Oh, oh, do I? I definitely have <laughs> okay. like a. I went to Warp Tour like a lot as a kid, and I definitely have a, a a picture taken on a disposable camera of me and Newfound Glory. Amazing. My friend once gave me tickets to Warp Tour. And my parents wouldn't let me go. So we could have crossed paths at Warp Tour, except my parents, once again, cock-blocked me for making uh, any fun. F- fun fact, similar story. Um, so I went to Warp Tour in 99, in 2001, in 2002, 
And then in 2003, I got grounded. So I couldn't oh. go to Warp Tour. What did you do wrong? I, I stayed out past curfew, I think. <gasps> I know. Such a bad kid. And so my friend Caroline, had a, I was going to go with my friend Bill Benz, who incidentally was friends with Eric Iger. And, uh, <laughs> and, and my friend Caroline had a crush on Bill and was like, hey, if you're not going, can I have your ticket? And so I gave her, I think I sold her, my ticket. And they are married and have a kid. Whoa. Yeah. Whoa, 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 And whoa. literally every time I hang out with them, which is like once every year or six months or something, Caroline's like, you know, we wouldn't blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, yeah, I know. I clearly wow. remember this. They fell in love? Well, she had a crush on him, but yeah, they fell in love and they've been together ever since. Now, now they Hilarious. have a child. Who they play Blink-182 for as Probably. they fell asleep. Yeah, yeah. They were, <laughs> they were both very into the pop punk scene of the early and mid 2000s funny enough my uncle also gave me like eight tickets to blink 182 and my dad wouldn't let me use them it was like for me and all my friends for my birthday because you know blink 182 well i don't know what that means my dad didn't want me they didn't let me do anything like i couldn't go to a concert i couldn't listen to music that used curse words i guess they. i mean i was doing all of those things anyway but not on their watch. Yeah, there was subterfuge involved. <laughs> okay, so you remember Dude Ranch? Mm-hmm. We've talked about that. It was so interesting to me when I was looking up its release date because it came out on June 17, 1997, and I have a very distinct memory of some boys listening to Damn It on the last day of school. So they must have just, like, just gotten it. Yeah. And I was like, what is that? Like, what is that sound? Like, I loved it. Oh my God. A little emo like, brain was like. Like, <laughs> like in fucking back to the future. You're like, you know that new sound you're looking for? And it's just, yeah. damn it. <laughs> That's me. I, I, I have a similar memory of like the kids in like the, well, I'm like super dating myself, like in elementary school in the early 90s who were listening to like Dookie. And yeah, and never mind. And they all switched over to damn it when damn it came out. And they started wearing like studded bracelets and necklaces and stuff. <laughs> Getting even more and more emo. Yeah. But that was the next thing in my notes that I hadn't really heard music like that before, besides maybe Dookie, Dookie. which yeah. was also confiscated by my father. <laughs> oh, 100% was not allowed to listen to Dookie. Um, yeah. I, the, the, you, you bring up a good point that like, Green Day and Blink-182 do not sound all that similar, but like there is definitely like a huge crossover and I think they like toured together. It was like the two of them and Weezer. It was like the 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 kind of the seminal, you know, early alt rock bands. Yes. So I did have a section about this. Mm. Because I fucking can't stand most of Green Day's musical catalog. Oh. <laughs> Someone's drawing people's fire. Um, away from me who doesn't really care for Blink-182 that much. <laughs> Correct. I'm going to be a hater for once. I fucking hate Green Day. But I loved, loved Dookie. Yeah. And it had that, like, I'm just, like, further proving your point what you just made fun of me for. But it, like, had that, like, it factor that mm-hmm. I feel like spoke to a lot of young people coming of age at that time. I agree. And I, I, I think it was more serious than Blink-182, which is why I liked it. And mm-hmm. and the more serious they got, the more I liked them. So like, I loved like Nimrod, which was their third 
third record, the one that had Time of Your Life on it. Ugh, oh, God. Could, couldn't stop listening to that in like seven <laughs> Um, and I think that came out when I was like graduating eighth grade. It was definitely like a graduation year. Nimrod? The Hope You at the Time of oh, Your Life song. 100%. That came out in 1999. Yes, I was graduating eighth grade. So there you go. Um, so I was reading um, from Pitchfork. They put out this article in 2020 that was looking back at Enema of the State. Which is the, hey. which is the, the album that we're talking about today. Which is the album that we're talking about today. But this is tying in the Green Day theme. Oh, okay. So I will read from this now. On the weekend of the infamously disastrous Woodstock 99, which symbolized oh. rock radio's id-fueled descent into aggro dipshittery, a snottier kind of teenage angst was manifesting 200 miles to the west in Buffalo, New York. Then, in its fifth year, the Vans Warped Tour had crisscrossed the country, bringing affordable revelry to the green-haired masses. If Woodstock was for the shirtless jocks, Warped Tour was for the skaters, losers, and wannabes, who still sometimes needed a ride from mom. <laughs> hey, fuck you, dude. <laughs> yeah. This guy hates us. Um, no one... <laughs> did you see the Woodstock 99 documentary? No. There's a Woodstock 99 documentary about like uh, this dipshittery that this guy's talking about specifically. Oh, fantastic. Yeah. Want to tell us a little like... Uh, I haven't seen it yet. Okay. Uh, okay. So, no one was there for the revolution. They were just teenagers drunk on community and tongue kissing, blissfully alive during the final summer of what had been a relatively idyllic American decade. And that summer, no act on the bill was bigger than Blink-182. I, d I don't know, man. I went to <laughs> I went to Warp Tour like a year or two after this, and I disagree entirely because I saw Bad Religion there and Rancid and like oh, Rancid, bands yeah. that were there for the revolution. Okay, well, we don't we never agree with the music critics, right? And there's a, there I mean there was a fair share of people <laughs> there for only for tongue kissing as well. See also Bill and Caroline, but um, <laughs> but yeah, like I you know. I saw my first Nazi punks fuck off shirt at that in like 2000. I didn't realize that there was like a, a political bent to punk music until I went to Warp Tour in 2001. So like. Okay. So fairly agree to disagree. With this guy. What's we his name? Agree Keith? We to disagree with this guy. Fuck you, Keith. Uh, yeah, his friend name probably is Keith. I don't know. I didn't even write it down. <laughs> you heard it here first. <laughs> fuck you, Keith. <laughs> While the concept of pop back to Keith. While the concept of pop punk <laughs> dates back to the seventies. Probably not actually Keith. <laughs> While the concept of pop punk dates back to seventies bands like the Buzzcocks and the Undertones, pop punk didn't become actual popular music until nineteen ninety four when Green Day's Dookie sold more than twelve million copies and set off a never ending debate about selling out that persists in DIY spaces today. Sure, Green Day sang more about masturbation than anarchy, but that simply did not matter to all the young kids who, apart from lapping up the music, constituted a new customer base for the record industry to serve. These market conditions had left Blink-182 to festival superstardom just five years into their recording career. In 1992, Mark Hoppus met Tom DeLonge through Hoppus' sister Anne, and they immediately connected through their obsession with punk rock and middle school humor, two foundational elements for a new pop-punk band. But while they loved conceptual predecessors like the similarly Californian and cheeky descendants, they were serious about owning a suburban home. I'd like to make a lot of money and fuck credibility, Hoppus said in 1998 to Izine. People make so much out of something that just 
People make so much out of something that's just the band trying to get ahead and get its music to as many fans as possible. They weren't selling out. They were buying in. Part of that was Hoppus and DeLong's ex-urban SoCal upbringing, which encouraged a sunny prankishness at odds with the urban despair of the big cities. The Californian middle-class suburbs have nothing to be that bummed about, DeLong told music journalist John Robb in 2000. He might have added white, too. He might have. So, <laughs> so... Uh- and and this might be why Blink One Eight Two never connected with me is that they actually they don't have anything to say. Yeah. Um, what they began doing quite well and to excess was simple: record the pouty concerns of middle class kids in a plain spoken language they could understand, set to addictive melodies, and played at a moshing speed. Sure. And and I I kind of disagree with Keith uh, about <laughs> about. Green Day not having anything to say because I think you know singing more about masturbation than the revolution or whatever. Like I I don't know if I agree with that. Let's I mean like what's the what's the like biggest song on Dookie is is Basket Case. That's not a just about like wanting to jack off. It's like about the malaise that this guy is feeling as a suburban Californian. Like I think that he's still like singing about kind of how difficult it is for him currently to navigate his life. Um, mm-hmm. And so I'm not saying that he's wrong that, that blink 182 like didn't take that ball and run with it. But I think that that's like a misinterpretation of what green day did and does. Yeah. I mean, green day was pretty emo, but so is blink 182 at many times. They were just like a little bit lighter. Yeah, I guess so. Even like, even like their emoist, which is like the, adam song adam right song. <laughs> is like still not all that introspective yeah that's true i mean it's definitely very shallow stuff yeah, but it's super to like a teenage brain i think because it was just like the backdrop to all of deeper things that were actually happening in our lives mm-hmm. yeah we it kind of a like conflated it with meaning yeah i think i think i think you're right and like the fact the fact that they're just like, oh, we don't care about like doing anything, saying anything. We just like want to make money, which is like, that's cool. But that also like, you know, it foreshadows the problem that Blink-182 has today, which is like, spoiler alert, they're still, they're in their 40s or close to 50 now singing songs about the high school dance. Like, you, yeah. you're, out of, you're out of touch, guys. And it's because there's no emotional honesty to what you're singing about yeah they really have not evolved no because because by by definition they're like not a band that evolves they're stuck in time yeah (laughs) well we've been talking about blink 182 for a while and we haven't listened to what's my age again yet would you like to i would like to this is a song that I, i i probably know every syllable of as we're talking about them not evolving, why don't we listen to the song they wrote about not, not evolving? evolving. <laughs> Good segue. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I really love it. <laughs> I took her out. It was a Friday night. I walk alone to get the feeling right. We started making so what's happening they're running around what looks like 
LA or the Valley naked, and now they're playing in a studio naked. They're like streaking. Mark's like a good looking guy, which I think goes a long way, too. But I never noticed that. No? You never you never noticed that he was kind of a babe? No, until doing this show. And then I'm like, oh, Mark's cute. He's still cute. He, uh, Yeah, I mean, he's recovering from cancer right now. Spoiler. Correct. He's in remission. Good for him. And so this is a famous who's this? adult film star whose name I don't remember, but she's also on the cover of the record um, with like a rubber yes. glove. Her name's Janine Linda Mulder. Rolls right off the tongue. Yeah, Sweetser Avenue. They're in L.A. She's dressed as a naughty nurse. She's slapping on a pair of latex gloves on the album cover. Yeah, I mean, so this song, compared to like the stuff that we listen to, it has harmony. It's like a little bit less down. It's like a little bit, the tempo's a little bit lighter. Oh, I heard Mark and Tom harmonizing on their demo. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> not not quite as well as this, maybe. Now they're in like a Gap commercial for khakis. Talk soup. Ooh, but they're naked. Soup, but they're naked. Yeah. KTLA they're 5. Just so they, I mean, they got serious cameos from like LA locals. But like the drums are a little bit more accessible. The melody is a little bit more accessible. The content is still very kind of juvenile and whatever, but uh, this is Mark talking about the video, the making of the video to rock sound. And uh, Marco Siega, the director, had this idea. Why don't you guys run around the city naked? And uh, we trusted him, and the video turned out actually really good. Um, it was very edgy for the time. Not something I would do again. The video shoot for What's My Age Again took three days, as videos back then did. And we spent a lot of time with um, flesh-colored Speedos standing around the streets of Los Angeles. It was really awkward. I don't suggest it. All right, three days. What do you say to that? Uh, there used to be a show on MTV called Making the Video where like, it was like, we only have three days to shoot this J-Lo video. <laughs> um, you know, I think it was a luxury of, of money back then um, yeah. that like you had, you know, if, if uh, the same thing ha- what were to happen today, it would be one day. But also like you wouldn't shoot on film. I'm, just by the look of it, you can tell that this was shot professionally and shot on film. Um, but my guess is that they did like one day running around one day in that studio, that all white studio, and then one day running through all those like cameos is my, that's my guess. Mm. Mm -hmm. Um, but like, yeah, okay. I mean, that must be nice. (laughs) Yeah. How many days did you take to shoot your movie? Uh, 10. 10. Good comparison. Good comparison. (laughs) While Travis was in the music video and played on the record. He's not even credited as a band member until their next album. Take, Take off, off your, your pants, pants and, jacket. and jacket. Why not? I don't know. He was super new to the band during making of Adam of the State. And I don't know if they felt some kind of guilt over the firing of Scott. You were talking about the sound quality is noticeably different. I think that 
Blink-182 is one of the first bands where I like actually honed in on and was super into the drumming once Mm -hmm. Travis came on board. You know, there's kind of like this trope that no one pays attention to the drummer. Uh, My my thing is that (laughs) no one pays attention to the bassist, but yes. (laughs) Sure. Similar. Um, But I think, you know, Travis was super talented and made people pay attention. Yeah, Travis Travis became, you know, let's say an equal member of the band. Now I would say he's ar- arguably the the most famous of the three of them, but like yeah. yes, people really loved Travis's drumming. And once again, like I think he's a very good drummer. Do I think he's my favorite drummer? Not really. Who's your favorite drummer? Um Ricky Mazzotta from Me Without You is very good. The dude from the uh Royal Alberta Advantage is very good, and I really like Gunner from um the exit and he's like a session drummer now who he played on like robin's records and stuff well travis had previously been playing with the aquabats yes do you know them yes they started yo gabba gabba yo gabba gabba the dude the dude from the aquabats started yo gabba gabba there's like a weird i did not know that (laughs) there's like a weird overlap between pop punk and children's entertainment Oh, so there's tell the me more. Aquabats and Yo Gabba Gabba. Jeff Rosenstock from Bomb the Mu- Music Industry does all the music for Craig of the Creek. And like Harry and the Potters is like a DIY punk Harry Potter themed cover band. So they sing, or not cover band, they like tribute band. They both dress up like Harry Potter and they sing songs about Harry Potter. So they'll play like underground DIY punk spaces and also libraries. Interesting. Yeah. What a fun existence. <laughs> right? <laughs> Joe and Paul DeGeorge. Well, Travis allegedly learned how to play Blink's set in 45 minutes. This is this is part of that lore that I heard that Scott broke his foot and yeah. Travis had to fill in. Yeah. Um, so these next fun facts are from Pitchfork. Travis's two drum heroes were jazz legend Buddy Rich and Animal Great. from the Muppets. Great. I love that. <laughs> uh yeah, and as I just told you, he wasn't uh an official member of the band until 2001's Take Off Your Pants of Jacket that came Very from Pitchfork weird. as well. Which is like um, probably circa around the time that I saw this like behind the music or whatever. Oh, sure. Travis was a lot better than Mark and Tom, arguably. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Not arguably. Um, <laughs> Tom told Total Guitar in 2012 that with the addition of Travis, quote, it was like now anything's possible. We can play any kind of song. Mark and I instantly played better because we were keeping up with someone who played everything perfectly. So we became a lot better at that time. We were nowhere near as good as Travis, but we got better. What a fucking drive by on Scott. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Oh my God. We sound Um, so much better now that our drummer doesn't suck. Aquabat singer Christian Jacobs put a little bit more bluntly to Pitchfork when he said, without Travis, Mark and Tom would have been, at best, a lukewarm poser punk, wait, a lukewarm poser pop punk band, a couple of hot dogs wiggling around in a bucket. I disagree, but I don't, I also don't necessarily think that they're not a couple of hot dogs wiggling around in a bucket now. I agree with that statement, but Dude Ranch went gold. I mean, that's not nothing Mm -hmm. for a couple of hot dogs in a bucket. I, th- I think the staying power came from Enema, and Enema is only any good because of the addition of... Well, a, a, a significant portion of why Enema is good is, is Travis. Yes, I agree. I used to listen to it every single night in my Discman to fall asleep. That's fucking weird, dude. No, I did the same <laughs> thing with Nimrod. I'm, I'm 
fucking <laughs> I would be lying if I didn't say that that was the that and like Americana by the Offspring. Sure. I remember my stepbrother was like super into Dre and he was like, you're monkey music. You're like listening to this music like you're a monkey with your head cut off. I'm like, OK, what does but that then mean? I got like, I don't know. I don't know. The energy was too much for like yes. him. Was into Dr. J- but he was into Dr. Dre. Yes. Okay. I mean, the chronic. It's very into hip hop. Chronic 2001 had just come out. I mean, in 2001, like. Yeah. Which I also love. Yeah. It's I a mean, great record. I, I was not. I was into all of it. If my parents didn't want me to listen to it, I loved it. I loved it. (laughs) Um, Okay, so Enema of the State was produced by Jerry Finn, who the band had worked with on their song Mutt for the American Pie soundtrack, and he had engineered Green Day's Dookie. Mutt? Yes. What is Mutt? Uh, Isn't it that, is Mutt the I Need a Girl That I Can Train song? It's, I think it's also, it's on Enema. It's like a song that we know, but I guess it came out for... Oh, it's a Blink-182 song. Yeah. Oh. Let's listen to it for a second. I don't really yeah. know. Yeah, okay. Do you, did you pull it up? Yeah. I know every word to every song on this album, but since I just listened to it from top to bottom, I probably don't know most of the song names. Yeah. That's but- a thing with me. Like, I know... I don't really know song names because at that time I was consuming music in a different way. The whole album. Yeah, I definitely remember this and remember it from American Pie. And they're in American Pie. Are we done with that? They are? Yeah. I wasn't allowed to see those movies. So so there's this famous scene in American Pie where... um, Shannon Elizabeth like masturbates and the webcam is on, right? I'm sure that you've at least heard of this without having seen it, or maybe you've seen it. Do you know what I'm talking about? No. Okay. So, Jason. Whose webcam is it? So, let me back up. Jason Biggs is the main character, and he invites the foreign exchange student played by Shannon Elizabeth, who he has a crush on, over to his house. He, like, lets her change in his bedroom and purposely or accidentally but i think purposely leaves his webcam on to like watch her change he runs over to his friend's house to watch her undress on his webcam and she starts and this is the message that we're giving girls and boys oh it gets so much worse uh so he she starts like masturbating in his bed and he's like trying to figure out like what to do. like oh my god do i like go in there what do i say what's my line and i think that they decide the line is like do you need a hand um and he accidentally sends it to like the whole high school or the whole town and so oh everyone god. in town starts watching this like webcam th- webcam footage and blink 182 is there is like one of the groups watching the webcam footage oh they're watching it. They're watching on the internet. It on the internet. American Pie running scene mutt by Blink One Eighty Two. Uh, yeah, it's it's literally the scene that I'm talking about. The scene where <laughs> they're like everyone's watching her on the webcam. Oh, okay. Well, yeah, I guess I'm not too upset that my parents didn't let me see that one. Yeah, they didn't, you didn't want to see Jason Biggs fuck a pie. No. 
so that's heinous and we're just gonna move on <laughs> i mean no not no uh enemy of the state was mixed by tom lord algae do you know him no Oh, he's famous. He became the go-to guy for mixing pop punk. Bowling for cool. Soup, Weezer, 741, Less Than Jake, Something Corporate, Pink, Avril Lavigne, Fall Out Boy, Yellow Card. I could go on and on. I loved Yellow Card. Me too. I saw them. Me too. In Dartmouth, Massachusetts. I, I saw them um, in Philly twice. <laughs> I remember thinking the yellow card uh, violinist was like so broy. Yeah, he was like a my new haircut guy when I expected him to be like a my Pete new Wentz. haircut. Oh my god! <laughs> Fuck. What? Nothing. I just forgot that that fucking <laughs> took me right the fuck back. Yegabombs. Yegabombs. <laughs> uh, okay, so. In 2020, Mark said on Less Than Jake's, this is so hard for me to, to use a double S like this. Let me see if I can say this another way. There's no other way to say it. Okay. In 2020, Mark said on Less Than Jake's, Krista Makes' podcast, which is titled Krista Makes a Podcast, which I kind of hate. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> Mark said that the intro to What's My Age Again came from him trying to learn how to play Green Day's Jar. Another, yeah. Okay. Which is a 1995 song that bassist, Green Day bassist Mike Durnt wrote about his friend dying in a car crash. Uh, so let's take a quick listen to that. Yeah, I was about to say, like, I, I'm kind of familiar-ish with that, but not really. Okay. Oh, <laughs> music from the, the Angus soundtrack. Angus soundtrack. <laughs> so friend of the show, Jim McDevitt, this is his favorite movie. Oh, hey, Jim. A- Angus. Fantastic. <laughs> Yep, that sounds just Hear like it? I get it. Yeah. <laughs> also, yeah, this the soundtrack fucking rules. I remember it being like a big deal. The Angus soundtrack bigger than the and movie. the movie. Yeah, the movie did not do well. I but think, it was kind of culty. Yes, I mean, according to Jim McDevitt, yes. But <laughs> yeah, I I remember it. You know, I remember it being a big deal. When I was 10, but like, I don't think it has very much cultural staying power, you know? No, totally. It's not like Empire Records or anything. Sure. <laughs> um, okay. All right. So it's the late 90s now. Mark Hoppus is sitting on the floor of the house that he had purchased using the advance that he got from Dude Ranch. Okay. And he's trying to play Green Day, but something else happens and he likes it. So he starts noodling around, writing a, quote, vulgar joke song. Here is a clip of Mark talking with Rock Sound. What's My Age Again was a song that I started in my living room in San Diego. I picked up a guitar and I wrote this little riff and I started writing a joke song that was a lot more obscene than the final version and we were just going to record it as a joke song how many times can you say uh, joke song tom and travis were both like uh that song's too good to make a joke song let's make an actual song out of it and uh, i mean they did used to do it and it did very well and the rest is history the like iconic interstitials. Video has been viewed uh, okay, so by the time they took it into the studio, they had the verses and the bridge worked out, but the song had ended after the last chorus. Quote Mark. But I really like the way the arpeggiated guitar progression sounded over the rhythm guitar. So 
we actually extended the song. Mm-hmm. Into that like breakdown part. Yeah. Okay. And What's My Age Again came out before Pro Tools, so they had to bounce everything and then cut it out and splice it together. Mm-hmm. Um, which, you know, Sucks. means very little to me, but Yeah. <laughs> I've I've done I've done it basically once for for one demo that I ever did. It sucks a lot. <laughs> sucks. Tough work, hard work. It is tough work. Um I think that I I once told this story that I was helping my friend's band record a record and uh they were recording reel to reel on quarter inch tape and they didn't clean the playhead and the guitarist Nick like nailed a, a solo it was a very difficult solo and uh it didn't ever record because they didn't clean the playhead and then the engineer slash bassist like wiped all the black gunk off of the off of the recording thing and held up a q-tip and said hey look guys it's nick solo (laughs) yes you did tell us that story once (laughs) still Um, still hurts me (laughs) what's my age again oh do you want to take a guess at what what's my age again was originally titled by the band can i get a, a, a clue a hint yes it references another character in folklore references another character in folklore uh rumpelstiltskin (laughs) what's my name again so close oh really no um the the song was originally called peter pan complex okay fair but the label didn't think people would understand what peter pan complex meant and they said quote people won't know that peter pan complex means what's my age again i mean shh Sure. I don't know if they're entirely wrong. How dumb do they think we are? I don't know. This is for kids. (laughs) This is for kids who love Peter Pan. (laughs) Also, I think that they were probably quietly worried that some of the things that they say in the, like Disney would object to some of the things that they They say. They did say that. (laughs) Mark did say that the label was like, plus Disney could sue us. But like mainly they were just like, no one's going to understand that. The audience is too dumb. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Hey, man. But then it made me start thinking about like, damn it, which had parentheses growing up. Josie had parentheses. Everything is going to be fine. And mm-hmm. I was like, oh, that's why they were doing all those parents. <laughs> yeah, because we're idiots. Because <laughs> we're so dumb. <laughs> and and then and then like pop punk bands in the future, like really ra- like ran in the opposite direction. Like I write sins, yeah. not tragedies or sick transit Gloria or, you know, whatever else. Yeah, I was just thinking one that ran out of my head. P- please don't be Fallout Boy. It was. Of course, it was. And it was the line from Closer: "Lying's the most fun a girl can have without taking her clothes off." It n- nothing could have been more Lindsay than right? quoting <laughs> Closer through Fallout Boy. <laughs> I know my soul just shined. <laughs> um. Okay. So. We're talking about names of songs not reflecting the lyrics. Mm-hmm. Do we want to do a little lyric run on this guy? Oh, I do not need you to send me the lyrics. I, I can probably do it from memory. It's locked away. <laughs> okay. Um, before we do that, mem- that memory recall, uh, what, do you, what is the controversial misheard lyric that's in the first verse? Uh, I wore cologne is... Yeah. I work alone? No, it is I work alone, but everyone thought it was I walk alone. Yeah, I wore cologne. 
It's war cologne. War. War cologne. Cologne. Yeah, like Axe body spray. And and it's but, walk alone. No, it is war cologne. Yeah, yeah, but but people think. <laughs> oh my god. But people think it's walk alone. Walk alone. That doesn't make sense. Yeah, and even recently they got in like this Twitter fight with Mark. Like that. Who's is walk they? Alone. You know the internet. Oh yeah. Okay. The plebs on the internet. Fucking idiots. Um. Yeah. I probably thought it was walk alone at some point and then like heard it for a second time. Right. Yeah. Or like someone was like, it's work alone. And then you were like, oh, fuck. Sure. Uh, yeah. So I guess this was 2019. There was like a huge Twitter debate because uh, Mark tweeted, due to personal reasons, I will be wearing cologne to get the feeling right. And people are like, that doesn't make sense because that's not the lyric to your song. <laughs> Yeah. Jesus. Sorry, but you're actually going to walk alone to get the feeling right, said Jared Jesus Adultman. Fucking Jared <laughs> Adultman. Yeah. Fuck, no, no. Too much internet. <laughs> Enough. Okay. Bailing out of that. All right. So Mark told Krista Makes on Krista Makes a podcast I was such a shithead. I thought I'm going to impress this girl by wearing a bunch of cologne. Like, check me out. Mm-hmm. Okay. So all the lyrics. Let's do it. We won't even Google them. She, you want me to do it? Well, I can do it too. So okay. just lead us off. I took her out. It was a Friday night. I wore cologne to get the feeling right. We started making out. She took off my pants. And then I turned on the TV. Though, when they played it live on MTV, they said I turned on MTV. And that's about the time <laughs> she walked away from me. And then away from me. Oh. You seriously don't know what's next? I literally... I only know the last verse. No one should take them, th- some, themselves so seriously. Uh, that's about the time she walked away from me. Nobody likes you when you're 23. <laughs> Holy fuck. I oh almost like God. died from bated breath. <laughs> um, and you still act like you're in freshman year. Nope. <laughs> okay. Then and are still more amused by TV shows. What the hell is ADD? My friends say I should act my age. What's my age again? What do you want a shot at redemption? First verse two. Yeah. Sure. Later on on the drive home, I called her mom from the payphone. I said it was the cops. Her husband's in jail. The state looks down on sodomy. And that's about the time that bitch hung up on me. Nobody likes you when you're 23 and you're still more amused by pay phone, prank phone calls. Mm-hmm. What the hell is wrong with me? Or is, call ID. Oh. It's call ID. What the hell is call ID? My friends say I should act my age. What's my age again? And this is the part where they extend it, right? Into that breakdown. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. And that's about the time she walked away from me. No one should take themselves so seriously. Nope, not yet. No. Nobody likes you when you're 23 and you still act like you're in freshman year. What the hell is wrong with me? My friend said I should act my age. And then they do it again. And that's about the time that she broke up with me. No one should take themselves so seriously. With many years ahead to fall in line, why would you wish that on me? Which I always thought it was like wish down on me, which mm. I never really understand, but that's just what I heard. Why yeah. would you wish down on me? <laughs> like look they're, down on me. They're not know, known for their enunciation. <laughs> yeah. I never want to act my age. What's my sure. age? Sure. And they, and they don't. Nope. And so I think it's pretty obvious <laughs> this song is about yeah never wanted a girl peter pan's in her never peter pan complex and like but also they conflate like like being an asshole with being young young right which is like i think why the song never fully connected with me because i would like never 
call someone's mom and say that their husband was in jail for being gay. Right. Like, that doesn't sound um, fun or, or and nice. And, like, Mark said this obnoxious thing on Chris's podcast that, like, he's super proud. I think it was on the podcast that he said this. Like, he's super proud that What's My Age Again was the first song to be on Top 40 Radio that used the word sodomy. And I was like, you're I mean, kind of an asshole. Okay. And I was, like, wondering, like, what I said before, which was, how are they using this? Are they making fun of the state? I th- I don't know. I its... think I think that they're making fun of gay people in this one. Okay. Like the worst thing that a wife could find out is that her husband is gay. Yeah, I was kind of hoping they were like critiquing the government for caring what people do with their buttholes. I think that there's like there might be some of that in there, or maybe <laughs> that like the mom's stuffy, so like that's the crit- like yeah her, her mom she has a tight cares. <laughs> enough enough with the buttholes. <laughs> Um, so, uh, as we realized from you getting really tripped up on the choruses, all the choruses are a little different. Which is a thing that I do in the songs that I write. I don't like to repeat myself verbatim because I feel like it gets boring for me. Yeah. So Mark said, I read somewhere that the best songwriting, the best art, and the best books is the evolution of familiarity where you introduce an idea, people latch onto that idea, and then the next time it comes around, you change it slightly so they're still involved and that change grabs them even more. Don't make me agree with Mark Hoppus. (laughs) (laughs) Matt does this a lot in Alkaline Trio. Other artists I know do it a lot where you just change a couple of words here and there and it progresses. It makes things a little bit different, but it still feels like something that is home. Mm -hmm. I I 1000% agree. And I love the Alkaline Trio. And when Matt Skiba joined Blink-182, I died a little bit inside. Oh, of joy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay, so let's get the... Well, it wouldn't be our show if we didn't, like, rip these guys apart a little bit more. Great. <laughs> uh, so I want to talk about something that we touched on before, which besides the, the juvenile tone, it's the, the like, casual misogyny. So Mm -hmm. this is the era of music or just leading up to or the intersection of popular music that like really position women as bitches and hoes. Yes. And I think that there, you know, the dudes from the Bloodhound Gang are like waiting in the wings being like, oh, you think that's juvenile? Who let the dogs out? No, Bloodhound Gang. No, (laughs) Bloodhound Gang. You and me, baby, ain't nothing but mammals. Ain't nothing but mammals. So let's do it like they do. Do it again now. Do it like they do on the Discovery Channel. And I actually kind of like that band, but they are. I've never heard any of their other songs. Oh, it rules. (laughs) They rule. It rules. Okay. They're very good. So were they? They're super juvenile. Besides that song, super juvenile. They're. I think that their record that the Discovery Channel song was on is called "Hooray for Boobies." Oh, my God. Yeah. Gag. So I think what made this like easier for me to swallow, be, while it is casually sexist, it didn't feel very threatening because yeah. it is so immature. So juvenile, yeah. And then when I looked into this theme, I found that Pitchfork had written, Nice guy misogyny practiced by men who claim to love and respect women, but also think they know what's best for them, was rampant in the 90s culture and music. End quote. Very true. It's like a boys will be boys mentality, which like yeah. clearly gets dangerous after like two steps. It really was. And it really kind of shaped this whole attitude of 
disrespect. Like, mm-hmm. oh, the guys are. It's just it was the the full embrace of what we become known as locker room talk as just mm-hmm. like normal out there. Yeah, and it and it was it was quote like partially sanitized by these guys being like such dweebs. Yes. So that kind of like I when I started thinking about this, I started thinking about uh, Boy Meets World. Right. Okay. So like think about you've seen Boy Meets World, right? Yeah, take me take me through it. <laughs> okay. So you know Eric in Boy Meets World, Corey's older brother. Yes. He's like a good looking guy. Played by the incomparable Will Friedle. <laughs> Another one of friend of the show, Jim McDevitt's favorites. Oh my goodness. It's a real Jim episode. So, <laughs> you have this good looking guy who's cool, cooler than Corey. Mm-hmm. Always chasing after some girl doing some sh- dumb shit because he's trying to get a girl. And like, I remember watching it and thinking, like, do teenage girls really have that much power over guys? Because I feel like the power imbalance is reversed. But then what's getting reflected to me mm-hmm. is like, these guys are just idiots mm-hmm. that have basically just put the structure in place to serve themselves. Like with Blink 182. Like they might have seemed cool, but they're like miserable because of girls or their moms. Yeah, they pretend that all they care about is getting laid. But they're just but these even babies. The, even the like, <laughs> even the dynamic of the song, right? Which is like, she walked away. She broke up with me. Like she's in control. She's in the driver's seat of their relationship. Right. So it's like we're losers. These girls are too cool for us. If we're calling them whores, it's because we can't have them. Mm-hmm. It's like, like it's some like real incel shit. Proto incel. And and <laughs> I, I'm gonna be totally honest with you. That was so you're you're talking about like you didn't see that kind of power structure when you were a teenager. I didn't recognize it for what it was. You didn't re- recognize that it was like incel shit. Yes. I definitely saw and i don't want to say subscribe to because that like implies that i am an incel but like that was my high school experience was like i thought that the women my content like my contemporary women like knew way more than i did about like what it meant to be like uh, an adult and like had control over every situation that we were in interesting yeah i don't know man if only we could have been instant messenger friends. Right. Leaving, <laughs> uh, cer- leaving like uh, emo away emo messages away of message- song lyrics. Right. <laughs> and, and, and I definitely, I talk about this with another friend of mine that like, you know, a couple of different decisions get made in our lives. And like, you, you can go down this incel path. It's like, it's like a very attractive path for someone who's looking for answers as to why someone of the opposite sex doesn't like them oh yeah it's like i mean i i understand it because boys will be boy you know because we live in this patriarchy Mm -hmm. and so it's like of course they would latch on to that but at the same time i'm just like how can you be serious so i i think i think the difference is and i'm just kind of coming to this now is that like my self-esteem was never high enough to think that i was ever entitled to anyone's effect like a girl's affection Mm -hmm. and i think where you get an incel is someone who thinks that the women are in control of the of the relationship dynamic is not getting the desired results and also like thinks that they are entitled to those results Yes. Right. And and it was like that variable that was like missing for my young brain that like protected me from 
going down that becoming path. Becoming a true monster. Becoming a true monster. I'm only a partial <laughs> monster. Only partially. All right. So, yeah. So, just to wrap that up with a bow, Ann Powers <laughs> <laughs> wrote about uh, the song Dumpweed in the New York Times, and she called it a nasty idea, but the rest of the song makes it obvious he is the one at the heel. So, same thing. Right. It's like, you're a fucking loser. Right. And and at least Blink-182, I'm like kind of maybe reversing my position. Like, at least Blink-182 acknowledged that they were losers and like had a good sense of humor about it as opposed to many 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 musicians who acknowledged that they were losers and were like angry about it yeah right still thinking about it though i mean like there's this that one song i don't even know if it's called some girls try too hard because i've already said i don't know song names (laughs) but the party song it's called maybe do you no, want to no. go to a party? My friend pick us up in a truck at 11.30. Things at a frat house. The people are cool. They're reluctant. I followed. You don't know the song? Nope. It's on Anima of the State. I so was, I was listening to MXPX, baby. With green eyes and long blonde hair. She won't be wearing underwear. Okay. Well, it's about like, these girls are trying too hard. You know, they're showing their cleavage. Mm-hmm. They're wearing a tank top. And like, I remember my boyfriend Sl- at the time. Slut-shaming adjacent slut shaming girls in my class and we're like in ninth grade you know like that song gave him the confidence Mm -hmm. to to feel that he had some kind of moral high ground and i think and i think like speaking as someone who like remembers the time where they were in ninth grade and didn't know anything you bought a record you bought a cd of someone who felt confident enough to say that and therefore that's like your model of like well this is like okay to say and think because you know this is like a a model of a successful adult even though like they may not have viewed themselves as successful adults like as a ninth grader and they were in their mid-20s like oh my god yeah yeah so mark said that he um chose 23 only because it rhymed with away from me sure which i thought was just fun because he talked about how like you know, he obviously loves that it's become a cultural phenomenon. Like when people turn 23, they send him Instagram messages of like pictures of cakes with nobody likes when you're 23 on it. But he was in his mid to late 20s at the time that he wrote it and was like, yeah, I just picked it because it rhymed with away from me. But yep. I love that it's like taken off. Yeah. I, and I picked the song because it turned 23 this year. Exactly. I, th- I think <laughs> that um, I, I apply this to like anyone who gets like really deep philosophical life advice from songs like you know that they were looking for like rhyming things in the end the love you take is equal to the love you make doesn't actually mean anything sorry to anyone who has that tattooed (laughs) on their body it's just a nice (laughs) pleasant sounding rhyme listeners Lindsay is staring out in the middle distance you're gonna carry that weight yeah I just, I just think, you know, like, don't take life advice from people who are ma- making sure that their songs rhyme every fifth word, because, like, that sometimes becomes more important than the message. Yeah, but sometimes people just need something to be more important than the message, hence religion. Sure. <laughs> you know what? You're right. Listen to every religion. I'm just saying, like, that's what human beings do. They're like, oh, I heard this thing, and it means everything. Oh, yeah, yeah, of course. But I just think, like, responsible media consumption, like, maybe think about the thing before you make your whole life about it. Well, hell yeah. Obviously, we support that here. Maybe. 
I don't have any song lyric tattoos. Just an Oxford comma, which is a song lyric. Who gives a fuck about an Oxford comma? I do not like that song or that band. <laughs> All right. So, okay. Where is Blink-182 now? Where is Blink- Are you asking me or are you going to tell me? Well, I'll, I'll, I'll fill in the deets for you, but you go. Uh, so, Mark left the... I'm sorry. Tr- Travis was in a plane crash. Um, and Tom DeLong left the band. He had started like a side project called Angels and Airwaves, which was about aliens. And he, um, he just like super duper believes in aliens and was like at one point working alongside the government to like prove that aliens <laughs> yes. existed. And I think that that like, forgive the pun, alienated him from the rest of the band. And uh, so they replaced Tom. No, he quit in 2015. He, he quit. Oh. Tom um, quit. But they replaced him with um, Matt Skiba from the Alkaline Trio, a band that I really, really love. And um, he, who does not sound a single thing like Tom. Yeah. Um, and they're still making music, I think. Or they, they put out a record in like 2016 or so. And um, I didn't love it. I like listened to it once maybe. And, um, and then Tom got cancer. No, I'm sorry. Mark got cancer um, during COVID and is, is in remission now. Yeah. So Mark got lymphoma. Then he accidentally shared his diagnosis over social media in 2021. Accidentally? Yeah, he sent a selfie in a chemo chair that was, he says, intended for close friends, but he sent it to his stories. Okay, I mean, And the sure. caption read, yes, hello, one cancer treatment, please. And then, like, all chaos ensued. He took down the post, but it was too late. So he put out a statement that said, for the past three months, I have been undergoing chemotherapy for cancer. I have cancer, it sucks, and I'm scared, and at the same time, I'm blessed with incredible doctors and family and friends to get me through this, and then September 2022, as of, nope. he's in remission. September 2022 is 2020. next month. Correct. <laughs> <laughs> so, when did Mark go into remission? <laughs> Probably September 2021. Great. So, Mark's in remission. Everyone. Yeah, Mark's, Mark's in remission. I remember seeing his, like, bald Instagram posts. Yeah. He has another gig, a side gig with simple called Simple Creatures, which is a duo with keyboardist Alex Gasgarth, which sounds like one of Aviv's friends. <laughs> Just sounds like someone you would okay. be in your friend. Yeah, me and Alex Gasgarth. Yeah, it sounds exactly like one of your friends. Uh, he is of all time low. Mm-hmm. Who Just also like had life. like a resurgence this past year. Um all time loaded yeah because they their song dear maria was like a big big on tiktok oh yeah okay i should open up my tiktok and see what ideas you've sent me lately hundreds (laughs) um and and he also overwhelming now i'm too buried he also had a side project called boxcar racer that was him right oh and like plus 44 they had they had like a bunch of side projects which like i think are kind of weird and to quote bomb the music industry side projects are never successful Ooh, that's not true the traveling wilburys ah yes (laughs) uh with their their big hit skeeter and the monkey man skeeter and the monkey man that's right (laughs) how the fuck did you pick my favorite traveling wilburys song uh it's mine too so uh Tom quit. We got that. What about 
You got Mark out of the way, but I really wanted to go back to Tom, as you can tell. <laughs> to Tom or Travis? I want to go back to Tom before okay. we get to Travis. So Tom believes in aliens. He believes in aliens. Do you remember those videos that went viral in 2019? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. yeah. So it was, they I know were, they you were do. Him. I, I know, I know. It's clear that you know about this, but I'm just kind of like doing this bit for people who don't know. So there were these videos that went viral in 2019 that Navy pilots took of UFOs question mark. They're called UA, <laughs> UAVs now. Okay. Unauthorized aerial vehicle or uh, unidentified aerial vehicle. And so like the New York Times picks up the story and publishes the videos and they're like, oh, this company to the Stars Academy of Arts and Sciences, which is a company that included several former government employees quote the times trying to advance society's understanding of scientific phenomenon through the lenses of entertainment science and aerospace and its founder tom delong so billboard did this a timeline of tom delong's connection with ufos which I, is just this this is what i want this is this is the content i'm here for <laughs> yeah here we go so that's just fantastic so i just sent you the link to that okay so do you want to just read the intro to yeah. us on Tuesday, April 28th, Tom DeLong's decades-long UFO research and efforts to publicize sightings finally got acknowledgement when the U.S. <laughs> Navy officially released three clips of the former Blink-182 of the three of the clips that the former Blink-182 singer has been talking about for years. The the clips titled Gimbal.WMV, FLIR.MP4, and GoFast.WMV. GoFast! <laughs> were first published by the New York Times and DeLong's UFO Research Organization to the Stars Academy in 2017 and 2018. Trying to find the countless interviews of DeLong talking about his connection with the extraterrestrial world would take hours. So we've broken it down for you. Here's a timeline of the rocker's most notable UFO mentions. So then it goes through and it's like Enema of the State featuring aliens exist. Tom DeLong talks passionately about hidden UFOs information in the military in the early 2000s. Mm -hmm. 2015, he leaves blank, blah, blah, blah. And this goes on until to 2019. So the, so I just want to point out in 2015, tw I'm sorry, June 2016, there was a tweet from Tom DeLonge that said, don't believe the media. Ridiculous articles saying I quit Blink over my work with government on secret machines project. Not true. <laughs> so Tom. you have to watch this Tom. slightly unhinged clip uh, that I just put. This is from Open Minds TV. Oh, I'm already all in for Open Minds TV. <laughs> All right, tell me, tell me. I, I like I the will. green hue. The 2017 presidential campaign is finally over, and so are the mysterious leaks of emails posted by WikiLeaks of Hillary Clinton's campaign manager, John Podesta. At OpenMinds.tv, we often cover the news of Podesta's interest in the UFO topic, an interest that was reflected in his leaked emails in surprising ways. <laughs> But her emails from a phone. Perhaps one of the more shocking revelations from the Podesta emails <laughs> is his involvement with rock star Tom DeLong, who is seeking to expose a vast UFO cover up within the government. DeLong, the former frontman for the band Blink 182 and currently for the band Angels and Airwaves, says he based his recent fiction book, Secret Machines Book One Chasing Shadows, on information fed to him by government insiders. The book is about the government's decade-long project to back engineer alien technology. Also, if I'm a government insider and I'm like, 
I gotta, I gotta come clean about these aliens. My first call is to Tom DeLonge. Who approved him to say this, and who are his sources? Until the Podesta UFO WikiLeaks, we had no idea who these people were, if they were really within the government, or if they existed at all. It turns out DeLong was having conversations with insiders, and some of the names of the people he was talking to are in the Podesta emails. In fact, Podesta invited them to a meeting, a Google Hangouts invitation sent out on January 24th for a meeting on January 25th at 10.30 a.m. included Rob Weiss, Executive Vice President and General Manager for Advanced Development Programs, Skunkworks, at Lockheed Martin Aeronautics. Skunkworks is the group that built Area 51 at the behest of the CIA and for decades has worked on developing top-secret advanced aircraft. <laughs> Major Citation General needed. William N. McCaslin, the commander of the U.S. Air Force's research laboratory at Wright-Patterson Air Force Base. Wright-Patterson has a rich history in UFO folklore as it was the home of the Air Force's official UFO investigations from 1947 to 1970. Citation the final attendee was retired U.S. Air Force Major General Michael Carey. According to his Air Force bio, Carey was the special assistant to the commander, Air Force Space Command, Peterson Air Force Base, which is also so the home of NORAD. Peterson is at the base of the famous of Cheyenne Mountain. A recommendation for DeLong's Tom DeLong, 2017 Carey, UFO Researcher of the Year Award. That is the name of the video on YouTube. <laughs> Uh, we for, we forgot to mention one specific thing about Blink One Eighty Two, which is how they got their name. I'm sure oh, that please. people are like yelling. How did Blink One Eighty Two get no, their names? I'm, Damn it! I think that they know, right? And they're like, "How could you? How could you leave this out? You know the story. How could you leave this out? Tell me the story right now." Okay, so they're originally just going to be called Blink. There's another band called Blink, so they added One Eighty Two. Are you aware of the significance of the number One Eighty Two? Does it have to do with aliens? No. Oh. It's the number of times the F word is used in the movie Scarface. Well, well, well. Yeah. Immature and vulgar. Immature Just and vulgar. As expected. <laughs> yeah, and so that's that's like one of the classic Blink-182 lores. So listeners, if you've made it this far without being like, hey, why, why didn't you say this thing? We said this thing. And we don't care about it, but sorry. I des- desperately don't care about it. <laughs> All right, should we move on to Travis? Yeah, he was in a fucking plane crash. Yeah, in 2008. Wasn't September. he in multiple plane cr- crashes? Uh, I, don't, I don't think so. I, don't think to- I think Tom's alien friends are trying to take him down. <laughs> uh, while you look that up, I will talk. Uh, Travis was one of two people to survive the crash of the South Carolina Learjet 60. Mm-hmm. Just before midnight, his plane was heading down the runway for takeoff when a loud banging sound was heard on board. Aliens. According to the Federal Aviation Administration, the air traffic controller saw sparks emanating from the plane. The pilots told the control tower that the tire had blown out and they would be aboarding the takeoff. And Barker later said that the aircraft fell out of control. It was swaying back and forth, and the plane overran the end of the runway and it crashed into an airport boundary fence crossed South Carolina Highway 302 and came to a roaring stop on an embankment when it burst into flames. That is fucking horrible. Yeah, so it took firefighters more than an hour to even get it under control. And the two survivors were Travis and DJ AM, DJ Adam Goldstein. From um, Beastie Boys. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, They're both seriously injured. Goldstein told people 
in 2008 when the plane was on the runway i took my shoes off and fell asleep the next thing i remember is us crashing into something i woke up to travis screaming the plane engulfed in flames i remember thinking it was like miami vice where a car is on fire and you run before the gas tank explodes travis jerked upon the door and slid on his butt down a wing that was on fire i tried to cover my face as i jumped through a fireball as soon as i hit the ground i remembered stop drop and roll so i started rolling and then after putting out his own flames he helped travis like travis also later recalls that he like heard he like a on male fire. voice screaming yeah. stop drop and roll because he like went through the jet fuel and like Jesus. his whole fucking body was on fire Travis suffered burns to 65% of his body and he told Joe Rogan in 2019 friend of the show when I <laughs> yeah. when I jumped through the emergency exit when the plane blew up I was in such a hurry to exit the plane that I jumped right into the jet which was full, full of fuel my whole body lit up I had jet fuel in my whole body Gross. I burped jet fuel I burped jet fuel for almost 3 months That is horrible and um it's worth noting dj am adam goldstein um lost his life to accidental suicide accidental overdose um less than a, a year, year later, later i think yeah, like less than a year yeah and you know i can't uh i can't i i, I can't imagine that the incidents are completely unrelated no his lawyer said there's no doubt in my mind the injuries adam suffered in the plane crash caused last friday's events without the plane crash we'd still be enjoying his musical talents he lived with the trauma every day yeah and he was like he had a, a bunch of like painkillers in his system yeah he even sued three months after the plane accident he filed a 20 million lawsuit against learjet good uh the pilot's estates and others for quote pain and suffering mental anguish psychological and emotional distress disfigurement and pre-impact fear of death and burning yeah i can't imagine ever even getting in a car again after that happens yeah and travis suffered similar mental anguish he um he wrote, after my accident, I was four months in a hospital being fed morphine every day. He had close to 30 surgeries. They just couldn't give me enough medication to knock me out because I'd been self-medicating for so long and abusing meds for so long. I would just like wake up in the middle of anesthesia. When I was in the hospital, I was on so many drugs, I didn't even know my two friends had passed away. I didn't know the pilots had passed away. I didn't know anything. I kept Oh, sorry. He said he kept calling his friends and offering them $1 million if they would help him commit suicide. Yep. So really sad stuff. And I'm sure then the death of Adam later. Really, really, really fucked him up. And, and you know, um, n not for nothing, but like use of opiates also like has a, an extremely depressive effect. So it's like probably compounding. Like he was like all fucked up on opiates that he like couldn't quite get enough of to make the pain go away so he's yeah. like got opiate depression and pain and burns and his friends are dead yeah, yeah really 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 sad really really sad stuff but in a slightly happier news so i let, guess let him be with a kardashian it's fine yeah he made headlines yesterday jesus okay for a different flight for a, a commercial one flight? that he took with Courtney. Yes, he flew commercial with Courtney. Okay, to get married. A week after reports emerged, they've already, they're already married. Oh, okay, I didn't know that. They got married, I think, in Italy or something, a little bit of a ago. But yesterday, they f were in the news for flying a commercial flight a week after reports emerged that Kylie Jenner had used her private jet for seventeen minutes. 
Right. So this is the newest thing. I almost sent this to you regarding uh, your... T-Swift, friend T- of the show, Taylor Swift. Friend of the show, Taylor Swift, yeah. <laughs> so right, private jets are horrible for the environment. Um, one private jet trip for 15 minutes pollutes as much as 550 humans do all in, in a year. It's, yeah, we're fucked. We're going to die. We're super going to die. We're super, super going to die. Um, last year, Time Magazine published an article about the carbon footprint of billionaires that analyzed the environmental impact of wealth and growing inequality. And Time calculated the 2018 carbon footprint of 20 international, but mostly U.S.-based billionaires. So 20 people. <laughs> mostly from the U.S. Quote, we measured very conservatively because many details were hidden from view, but we still found that the billionaires each emitted an average of 8,194 metric tons of CO2 into the atmosphere in a year compared with an average person's less than five metric tons. This means that in 2018, the average billionaire polluted our common atmosphere 1,714 times more than the average person, but even more damaging than the 3,300 plus billionaires and relevant to the current backlash of of the carbon flights or of the private flights are the high emissions from the more than 300 thousand individuals classified by wealth x as ultra high net worth each with more than 30 million in assets this global elite is responsible for a major chunk of the world's total greenhouse gas emissions way more than what many sizable countries emit yep countries countries entire countries um so this week oh go ahead you go so (laughs) to sum up being a billionaire should be illegal and the best thing that you can do for the environment is to eat jeff bezos and if you're not going to eat Jeff Bezos, just eat plants, grow them at home. <laughs> Shoot down airplanes. <laughs> uh, this week, we're going to go out on Billie Eilish's All the Good Girls Go to Hell, which is about climate change. And Taylor Swift. <laughs> and Taylor Swift. Aviv, where can people find us on the internet? Find us on the internet at Lyrics for Lunch on social medias and for longer and weirder stuff. And if you want to talk about how you're mitigating the carbon footprint by eating billionaires, you can hit us up at lyricsforlunch at gmail.com. Send photos. Send photos. (laughs) And uh, like and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Rate and review. It's the best way for people to find us in the future i'm watching Billie eilish covered in tar with wings like is that even her i guess it is i think so stumbling away from like a fire this is pretty disturbing but also very i agree with everything that's happening um (laughs) and tune in next week do we know i don't know what we're doing next week but tune in next week for a brand new one of these we'll do this all over again yeah hopefully not about climate change it might be about climate change who the fuck knows um so until next time i'm aviv rubenstein I'm Lindsay Tucker. Saying, what is my age again? What's my age again? What's my agent friend? I walk alone. <laughs> I get the feeling right. Your cover is caving in. Man is such a fool. Why are we saving him? Poisoning themselves now. Begging for our help. Wow. Who's burn in California? My turn to ignore you. Don't say I didn't want you All the good girls go to hell Cause even got herself 
Say